Good morning. A young man awoke one morning to find a puddle of water in the middle of his king-size waterbed. In order to fix the puncture, he rolled the heavy mattress outdoors and filled it with water so he could locate the leak more easily. This enormous bag of water was impossible to control and began to roll down the hilly terrain. He tried to hold it back, and it headed downhill and landed in a clump of bushes which poked it full of holes. Disgusted, this man threw out the waterbed frame and moved a standard bed into his room. The next morning, he awoke to find a puddle of water in the middle of the new bed. The upstairs bathroom had a leaky drain. For the Christian, we're often like this man. We attempt to fix something that is not the root cause of our issues. We attempt to mow over a weed in our lives only to find it to spring up a little more aggressively somewhere else in the future. Today, as we get back into our study of the book of Acts, I hope that for each of us, those who are found in Christ currently and those who are still kicking the tires of this thing called faith have the opportunity to realize how good it is to find our identity in Jesus Christ. We're glad that you're here. We hope that God makes much of himself and makes himself known to you today through his word that stirs an affection for him through the reading and explaining of his word. We're back. We're back in the book of Acts, which we took a break from during the summer. But today, not only will we be celebrating this new school season. Any kids excited about school? Okay, perfect. (laughs) Sometimes it's good to know you guys aren't going to say much back. And we're excited about fall being upon us. (laughs) Just doesn't feel like it currently, unless you're in Florida. We'll be having a barbecue as a church community, and we also want to get back into the book of Acts and see how God and the Holy Spirit move mightily through the proclamation of the gospel through the apostles in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts, as we've entitled, you saw in this video, as we've entitled this series, The Actions of the Apostles by the Holy Spirit. And so far, we've seen God do some pretty incredible things through these apostles who had witnessed Jesus' resurrection and were called upon to be witnesses that would testify to who God is and what he had done through Jesus. Today, we're back into this letter, and as Daniel read, we're going to look through those verses that Daniel read this morning, and so we're going to begin in the middle of chapter 11, verse 19. Here's what it says. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Here we're back in Acts and addressing something we studied many, many months ago in chapter 7 of Acts where Stephen was preaching a sermon and then he got mauled and stoned and killed for his obedience to testify to what he knows to be true about Jesus. And while this was awful in terms of brutality, God, who is a redemptive God with a redemptive plan, didn't allow this evil occurrence to be in vain. But instead, God scattered his witnesses all throughout Judea, which meant that this message of truth influenced more people and was shared with people that would have never been, who would would never hear this if everyone hadn't been scattered past Jerusalem. So let's look back at chapter 8 of Acts chapter 1, or chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
This narrative, while telling of the savage nature that some had against this movement of believers known as Christianity, God was allowing this to happen, but does not allow it to have no benefit. The gospel of grace has been something that primarily had only been taught to others of the Jewish faith and of Jewish descent, and yet what we will see today and what we've studied thus far is that the gospel is not for only one type of person, but it is a message that can change anyone. And God can draw people to himself from different histories, different contexts, different cultures, different dispositions. The influence of the gospel spread by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles was not something that I think any of us really have a great example of since. But I think being led by the Holy Spirit, which has been a huge cause of debate and even splitting within the church of the living God ever since, is something that when it's really the Spirit of God and not just our feelings or our pursuits being attained, it's this microcosm, if you will, of this very thing. Each of us can experience and do experience because the same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, resides in those who have trusted Jesus for their salvation. But as we spoke about a few weeks ago in our emphasis and value series, we have this deity, if we have trusted him, who has a say over our lives. As a believer, this influencer who does something in us that we cannot take credit for but we can experience wholeheartedly as a believer. We've been talking about this word, and I think this is what uh, uh, Luke is pointing out. It is known as the word abiding, which means to remain in, to be fastened to, to have a connection with Christ, because to abide means that we were first found in Christ. And if we're found in Christ, then we are his, he is ours, and so when Jesus says that he is the vine in John chapter 15 and that we are the branches, he makes known that those who abide, those who are in Christ, are those who are connected to him. Or a better way of understanding, and if you take notes, I'd recommend this because this helped me understand what abiding is. It means that we draw our life from him. And because of this, we have the opportunity to live by the Spirit. Our abiding means we are in Christ and that our relationship with God is permanently secured, which means forever if we've been found in Christ. And now for the believer in the first century in Antioch and the Christian today in Santa Clara County, we now have been given access to live by the Spirit of God. Living by the Spirit is infinitely important for the believer because it means we are letting go of our old selves who always chose the opposite of God's will and instead have the opportunity to be led and even controlled, I know how that word sounds, by the Spirit of God. Which for those of us who are yet to give up control to God really sounds scary and sounds like something that we don't want to do. But for the believer who abides, who remains, who knows their identity is rooted and secured and sealed in Jesus Christ, having God's help to live out God's will, seems way less difficult. It actually seems possible to do rather than attempting to do what God wills in our own strength. So we have these Jews who have heard this message and then after the martyrdom of Stephen, they're scattered in different places all throughout Asia Minor and the message that they're carrying is of first importance. And the influence of the Holy Spirit is to take that message to any and every type of person. Verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus 
and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Well, this is kind of scandalous. Doesn't this seem like the message of Jesus isn't just for good religious people? It's for the Greeks too. Those idol-worshiping, technologically obsessed nerds of the past. I was talking with a guy about sports at Pete's Coffee, and the conversation moved towards faith, probably without him expecting it to. But I knew what I was going to do uh, was going to probably point it towards faith. And he said, oh, no, 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 I am not religious. And I said, Phew! neither am I. Those people are so frustrating with their holier-than-thou attitudes. And he really didn't know what to do with that. Because he just assumed, if I were a Christian, then I was one of those holier-than-thou people. But I'm a Greek in this context. I wasn't raised with any type of laws to keep so I wouldn't offend God. I was, I was raised believing that this is all that we got. So we might as well just live it up. This is where the gospel is so scandalous. It's not just for religious people. Let me say this again. The gospel is not just for religious people. In fact, the gospel breaks us of our religious tendencies and reprograms us to grace in Christ as our message and our worldview. That's why the gospel is so scandalous. This message was being shared both with Jew and with Greek because both were in need of grace. For the Jew, they needed grace from their legalism and the eternal need to justify themselves and to point things back to themselves. And for the Greek, they needed grace from their lack of care for God, his commands, and any motivation to serve and know him. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. A great number of people believed and they turned to the Lord. Do we get excited about this? Like personally, when we hear about people coming to faith, this is something worth noting that the good news of Jesus was being shared and people were turning to the Lord. Hallelujah, praise his name. But look at how Luke communicates what had happened. He said the Lord's hand was with them. And what follows? God drew people to himself. God blessed the work of these men of Cyprus and Cyrene and God saved both Jew and Gentile through the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how all of you understand sharing Jesus. I have taught on sharing the gospel for years, and I believe there have been times where my emphasis has probably been too much so for some on the reality that God must intervene for anyone to actually receive God's grace. And while I think the Bible does make a ton more sense when you view the scriptures this way, let me show you, John chapter 1, 12 and 13, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, Children born not of natural descent, you weren't born into a Christian home, which makes you a Christian, nope, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then Ephesians 2.8, which we love to quote, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. I'm also very convinced though, personally, that no one really totally understands how they were first saved when it happened. And to be honest, a lot of us still don't really understand how we became a Christian years afterwards. But it was by grace, and we get that. But I think the Christian life is not one of attempting to pay God back for this undeserved gift, but to spend the rest of your life abiding and growing in your understanding of what grace 
is. In our Emphasis and Value series, we began the first week with what is our emphasis as a church, which is the gospel. It translates to good news. The good news of Jesus is what Luke just called it, but in our series, here's how I defined it, even though it's not the only way you can define it. The gospel is the redemptive plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation, revealed in the life, the death, the resurrection, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. I think we have that slide. There we go. The gospel is the redemptive plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation revealed in the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Now, while I like that pseudo definition, here's what I want to make known. The gospel, as I tend to hear it described by many, many other people who also identify like I do as a Christian, is basically that the gospel message is an altar call. It's the thing that gets tacked on to the end of a sermon to get people to repent, to get people to feel bad, and in an emotional reaction, they say, no more sin, choose the son, or as I like to tease a lot of you, when I accepted Jesus. And the gospel, while used as an altar call to get people to do something externally to represent as as the moment they intend to follow Jesus, is not an altar call. The gospel message is of grace being offered to people who acknowledge that they are sinful and that they're in need of a savior. So while perhaps my emphasis has often been confused for Reformed theology or Calvinism or gasp predestination, the gospel message of grace is what is of first importance and what men, women, and children for 2,000 years have been responding to in faith, which has led them to a few things. It's led them to repentance, to change direction. It's led them to baptism, to signify that they're dying with Christ and being raised to life in him and a life of abiding and relying on Christ. But Luke points out that all of this happened because the hand of the Lord was with them to reach both Jew and Gentile. And so then this news traveled back to Jerusalem and see what happens. Verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, just for a second, I want you to think about this. Can you imagine being in the early church? The message of the gospel is beginning to spread far out, and the guidance and the overseeing of the church in Jerusalem, as more and more people are hearing this news, as it spreads, there is more and more opportunity for the emphasis to change. The story to be added to or taken away from, and yet you have the hand of the Lord, which we'll see in a moment is represented by the third person of our triune God, the Holy Spirit, guiding and leading these newfound believers into the truth of the gospel message. But the church in Jerusalem, the OG church, that means original gangster for some of you, gets word and sends Barnabas, a man who is known as the son of encouragement. He goes from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch and he sees, and I love this term, what the grace of God has done. Real quick, church. Have you seen what the grace of God has done in your own life? We got to hear from our creative director, and she's where she likes to be in the booth this week, Laura, last week, testify to what the grace of God had done in her life. But have you, church, reflected? 
Have you thought about what it has done? The grace of God, the unmerited favor, the undeserved gift, getting what you don't deserve. Have you seen what the grace of God has done here at COV? Man, I would call out in a good way the people that were here early to serve and set up the different tables and make it so we can have a barbecue. And even though we can't turn down the weather too much, it's not as bad as it was on Tuesday. Amen? Woo, that's what we get an amen. Okay, that's cool. Have you seen what the grace of God perhaps has done in your own household, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your children's school? Have you seen what the grace of God has done in your own heart? I began to think through all that I have. I have a beautiful, amazing, wonderful wife that I married up to. There is no doubt about it, and every person who knows both of us knows this is true. And then I have my children, um, one, two, three, four, five of them. And each of them individually, the lessons that they have taught me, the growth and experiences they have been through, the context in which I live, the friends that I have, the opportunities that I belong, that, that I've been through, the context in which I live, the friends that I have, the community that I belong to, the people I serve the people I serve with, the people that I learned from, all of those things have the grace of God attached to them. And it is overwhelming at times to think about how good and gracious and beautiful and wonderful God is to call me his son. Verse 23, when he arrived, Barnabas, and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was glad seeing the grace of God and he encouraged everyone to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I take this to mean abide, to remain in the Lord, which isn't about losing or gaining salvation. To be saved means that abiding takes place in spite of us. Hudson Taylor, the well-known missionary, said it this way, abiding in Jesus isn't fixing our attention on Christ, but it's being one with him. A man is abiding just as much when he is sleeping for Jesus as well as he's awake working for Jesus. Oh, it's a very sweet thing to have one's mind resting there. Now see, abiding isn't our attempting or earning or trying. It's our remaining and our staying and our being God's possession. We are in Christ. And that means we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit leads us into abiding in spite of our wanting to do our own thing. Or as... One of our elders, Daniel, said this week at lunch, abiding isn't do, it's be. Abiding isn't what you do, it's who you be. Abiding is walking in the preeminence of God's will. Abiding is a daily preference of God's will over our priorities. Verse 24, Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas, Luke says, was a good man or a good person, which tends to be what everyone believes they are. If I asked you guys honestly, do you believe you're a good person? You might say yes. Why? Well, because I didn't do this really bad thing or I'm not as bad as Hitler or whatever. But see, the goodness was not because of Barnabas's moral compass or even his good deeds, but his goodness or his righteousness is one that was gifted to him through grace received by faith, and that is what makes anyone that would be considered good actually good. Barnabas is full of the Holy Spirit, and the faith that he exercised because of his connection and his union to Christ is what makes him good because he is God's possession. 
Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Barnabas seems to be a great example of the opposite of what many people tend to do today. Did you see it? Barnabas, who had all of this influence, had all of these people that he had encouraged and had even been a representation to as Christ, he decided to share his influence. He decided to learn from another. He partnered with Saul, who would become Paul, for a year because both of them wanted the same thing, for Jesus to be made much of, for the gospel to be spread and taught, and many people to become disciples of Jesus, which for the first time, the term was Christians. The term meant little Christ in its derogatory form, as it was originally said, and then became known as a follower of Christ over time. To be a Christian means you follow Jesus. And the truth is that human nature is not to want to be a follower, but to be followed. Social media and influencers are great examples of this today. What can we do to get more people to buy what we're selling, to see, what our brand, see that our brand is best, to get the word out, and to get paid? But for Saul, who would become Paul, and for Barnabas, the apostles, and the apostles, the word was to get out was not their new hip religion or some product to put on shelves, but this news that people who realize their spiritual deficit could be made right before God because God came in the flesh and sacrificed himself for his creation. Verse 27, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit, capital S, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. So Luke documents that some prophets, some specifically chosen and gifted individuals had come down from Jerusalem to Antioch and in this case, told and warned of what the future was to come. Prophets tend to be something that people still attempt to call themselves today. And while it's debatable if they still exist, I would contend that prophecy still happens today, but probably not the way that we think that it does. In this case, you have a prophet, and the scripture says is a prophet. Luke, being led by the Holy Spirit, pens this. And so these prophets came to Antioch to speak for God. And in this case, but not all cases, this was telling of the future. It was a warning. Prophecy in 2022, in my opinion, isn't this. In my opinion, prophecy, you ready? Is the communication of the truth of the word of God in a way that others can understand it. That doesn't sound that mystical now, does it? Ironically, I don't think people that attempt really hard to prophesy actually do it. I think it's more of a work of the spirit than a conjuring up of some perfect explanation of the word. And yet there's power, church. There is power in this. There is power in the living word of God. So much power that is untapped because it is the actual book that tells us who our God is, what he has done and how he loves us through 66 separate letters joined together, written over at least 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages by at least 40 different authors, all led by the Holy Spirit telling one story of mankind's need of a savior and his name is Jesus. 
And so that's why, as we begin community groups this week, we're going to give you the opportunity to wrestle with an epistle, a Pauline epistle, which just means it was a letter to a church written by Paul, 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to help you not just be in a community group where you can share pros and or uh, highs and lows with those in your community group, but we're also going to help you read this on your own because this isn't all the Bible you should be getting as a follower of Jesus. Now, the truth of these scriptures are something to behold. It is something to live by. They are something to stand up for. They are something to defend and affirm and believe, but not just the bound book in and of itself, or even the individual books separately, but the one full story of God's redemptive plan of salvation for those who would turn to God. Thinking biblically is kind of the thing that I'm, I'm pointing out. It's this idea that we spend time in God's word, and so we start to view the world through what God says because we're wrestling and inspecting what he says. And thinking biblically has always been something I think we ought to do as we devour and inspect these scriptures, which doesn't mean we just quote a verse for everything, but as we begin to study these words in the context in which they are written, we begin to be informed on God's heart for his creation and how we ought to live for him. One of the things that blows my mind is that God actually told us how we ought to love him, and it's found in here. Now, Luke's pointing out that this is during Claudius the emperor's or Claudius Caesar, as he is sometimes called, had a reign where there were many, many famines that took place from 41 AD to about 54 AD. And he also historically is known for removing many Jews from Rome, which led to far less people in the area of of Rome knowing the scriptures. And yet the gospel messengers were scattered to share with more and more people throughout this region which had some pretty huge gospel consequences. That God used for good rather than the intention of the emperor to squash what was being preached. But let's skip to Acts 18, I'll show you. In Acts 18, verses one and two, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. Now, we're a ways from studying this portion of Acts, but Paul's partnership with Priscilla and Aquila to be part of the planting of the church in Corinth and their encouragement and the help of investing in Apollos are all things that have moved the gospel forward and have lasting effects on us today as Christians. But this all happened because Claudius attempted to expel the Jews from Italy and then God used Paul's connection with this couple in Corinth to make much of Jesus. As the gospel was reaching the Gentiles, the Jews were the first ones to know and proclaim the scriptures. And if Claudius was trying to remove all the Jews from Rome, who would know and teach the scriptures to others? Well, because of the movement of the Holy Spirit, the stoning of Stephen, those in Antioch and beyond who were not Jews, but were Greeks, now who were not being removed from Rome had been taught the scriptures. They had been convinced of the gospel. And they would continue to plant churches and make much of Jesus in the center of the most powerful and influential empire the world had ever seen. It's almost like God knows what he's doing, church. 
When we think our circumstances are too bad for him to be involved, he actually knows what's happening and he's going to get glory from them. And this is not a new thing. This is a God thing. He is consistent in his word to point out how he can use what others mean for selfish gain or to harm someone else and he will redeem or use for his glory. In the beginning of God's word, the book of Genesis, we have Joseph and his fabulous jacket who was sold into slavery by his brothers and their jealousy who eventually becomes the second most influential and powerful man in all of Egypt who now has come in contact with his brothers once again and has the authority to harm them or really pay them back for their harm to him. But instead, what does he tell them after forgiving them? Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Within our definition of prophecy, I'd say that's a significant one and a foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So so, so much that in the micro, in the here and now, I hope you will see that the stuff that we endure, the stuff that maybe you're just going through now, the stuff that you've just come through, the difficult, the tragic, while being both difficult and tragic are not without effect and are not without a God who can use the worst of sin, the killing of his perfect son to save many lives for the glory of his name. And God can use a pandemic. God can use a loss of job. God can use a loss of family member, a loss of a house, a goal not being attained. He can use it to give us exactly what we need to grow and refine us into the image of his son. Verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. As Pastor Mike pointed out as we discussed this passage this week, verse 29, where the disciples decided based on their ability to help and serve a need only came after verse 28, where the Holy Spirit made known of the need that was going to happen. The disciples didn't decide to help brothers and sisters until the Spirit made an opportunity known that they could help with. Let me, let me give you an example. I tend to volunteer to help someone to move. I like to help people move. It is brainless for me. I love to pick up stuff. I've probably picked up some things I shouldn't, and my 41-year-old body's paying for it, but I enjoy helping people move. That doesn't mean text me right now. Now in college, I worked at a furniture store because I had done sales for so long, I was just kind of sick of people. I don't know if anyone ever has that feeling. But I worked at a furniture store until they asked me to sell furniture and I was like, no, 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 I just want to move furniture and then I quit. But I don't tend to offer help when someone needs something cooked, when someone needs a network set up, (laughs) unless you want me to break it, or a building built. Thank you, Kyle. You know why? because those are not things I have much ability for. But that doesn't mean I I don't help people gather other people because God has uniquely given me the opportunity to be involved and in front of a lot of people to help gather people. But here's, here's the thing with serving. Sometimes we, without meaning to, justify ourselves by our service to others. We want a pat on our back or internally require someone else to serve us because we have served them, which isn't a gift at that point. That's just kind of spiritual bartering. 
But without the expectations of being communicated beforehand, we just kind of assume others will serve us because we've served them. God was providing for his people through his people as they were able. And they sent their gift through Paul and Barnabas, two godly men who would give to the leaders of the church in Judea, which for the first time ever were named elders. The spiritual leaders that God provides to help govern and shepherd the flock of God's people within a church context. Hey, uh, there's five of us. I'm already standing. Four other elders. Would you stand real quick? I know you really are pumped about this. Daniel Delwood, Mike Miller, Kyle Zilka, Mark Frederick, way in the back. You can't even see him. Um, Thank you guys for doing what you do. Truly, you can have a seat. I'm grateful for these elders. We've been through a lot together. And man, it has not been easy. It has been impossible at times. And yet God who is faithful, not only has taken some really rough circumstances that we all went through, but he helped us endure them. And we're more sanctified sons of God because of it. We're more sanctified fathers because of it. We're more sanctified husbands because of it. We're more sanctified servants because of it. We are more sanctified leaders because of it. We are more sanctified shepherds because of it. And who gets all the credit? Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who walked and continues to walk with his abiding people and leads us by the Holy Spirit in his word, his truth, and his will. So trust me, church, I can testify to the fact that while I've been beat down and broken, God has not allowed it to be in vain. Paul puts it this way in the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, We were hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Anyone? Okay. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that in his life may, may also be revealed in our mortal body. A.B. Simpson, a theologian from yesteryear, says it this way, you will have no test of faith that will not fit you to be a blessing if you are obedient to the Lord. I never had a trial, but when I got out of the deep river, I found some poor pilgrim on the bank that I was able to help by that very experience. So church, you've probably been going through it. And yet God has and will continue to be faithful. He will continue to use our experience for the shaping of us into the likeness of his son. And if we are abiding, if we are being led by the spirit to be a blessing to others because we understand what others are going through. I've been spending more time lately with newly married couples who are thinking about and couples that are thinking about marriage. And it's a glorious thing for my wife Erin and I to spend time with them because it reminds us of all that her and I have been through as a couple. We're 19 years into this thing. It's decent. And while at times I've wanted to run and not go through some of the things that the Lord had prepared and was allowing for us to go through, I am so grateful for a partner and a friend that God has used to sanctify me. And I believe God's even used me to sanctify and grow Aaron. And that has been 19 years of learning how to abide together in Jesus.
So I am going to invite the worship team up, and I'm going to conclude with this doxology, which just means some words of praise. It is written by Paul to the church in Rome, a letter that I absolutely adore and has changed many people's lives after they read and studied this letter about justification through faith and sanctification through the Spirit. And I want you to see the words of praise that this doxology is that Paul wrote about and to our God. In Romans 11, verse 33 through 36, and and hear these words as Paul writes. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you as we get back into the book of Acts that it is an opportunity to put into practice what you are teaching us through your word. And Lord, even though this message was full of pointing out the reality of what it means once we're in you, God, there are people here that still have yet to bow a knee still have yet to say yes to you, Lord. And while the gospel is not an altar call, Lord, I believe that redemptive message is something that changes cultures and societies. And so, Lord, I know we're going to sing worship songs and we're going to do takeaways and we're going to eat barbecue and play volleyball and do other things, God. But I pray that the power of the truth of your word and the redemptive plan of your gospel would be something that changes us from the inside out. We thank you for Jesus. In his precious name, amen.